Well, it's good to be with you again this morning. Uh, if you weren't able to be there yesterday, don't fret. Uh, I am going to give you a quiz right now. That's not true. Uh, we're going to uh, do a little bit of revision before we begin. If we haven't met, my name's Mick, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, with you today to be able to share from, uh, from God's Word again. Uh, yesterday, we began by uh, thinking about the Trinity, and uh, the Nicene Creed was a little uh, good segue, thanks Gav, uh, to think about what we were thinking about yesterday and what we're thinking about today. Uh, so, in a sort of deep theological type way, the central elements of the Trinity are that God exists as three distinct persons. And in the Creed that we just read out, we read about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're the persons, and each person, Father, Son, and Spirit, are fully God and equally divine. That's okay. Uh, and each of the persons of the Trinity exists together in perfect unity and mutual love. Uh, for those who are visual, there we go. We believe in one God who's revealed himself in three persons and they're all equally divine. We had to think about that and then we, we, we sort of landed with these, these sort of uh, five things here that the Trinity is, as we think about how the Trinity affects our lives, we're humble in the sense of we know that we're never going to know everything about God, that God's ways are not our ways. And so there's a, an element of mystery in the way that we think about uh, the Christian life and the things that happen in our world. But as God is love, we are to be loving as well. As the Trinity is relational, uh, we are relational in our being and in the way that we relate to each other as the church. Just as Jesus submits to the Father, we submit to the Father as well. And as a community, we submit to each other. And of course, the Christian life is joyful. Uh, we can find meaning and purpose as we know who God is. We then had a look at Ephesians 1. And in Ephesians 1, we see the Trinity sort of in the wild, so to speak. We see all blessings come from the Father in Jesus. And it's in Him that all of these blessings come and that they are sealed to us and are guaranteed by the Spirit. What that means is as God works in the world, He works through His two hands, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and His hands reveal Him to us. Jesus is the one who accomplishes redemption and salvation, and the Holy Spirit applies it to us. When we look briefly at the whole concept of prayer. Ordinarily, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, but because the Son and the Spirit are divine, we can also pray to them according to their person and work. So, there you go. There's the 10-second version, so to speak. Uh, today, we're thinking about what it means to be compassionate and for God to be compassionate. Uh, now, we've often had presents, and when little kids get presents, what do they do? What's the first thing they do? They pick it up and they rattle it, right? I don't know what it is. They pick it up and they rattle it. They try, if it's squeezy, they try and squeeze it, right? They're trying to figure out what's inside as they think about what's in the box. But what do you have to do? You actually have to open the present for it to be discovered, right? For it to be revealed. You can sort of shake it a bit and that gives you an idea, right? But it's not until it's actually opened up that you actually know what it's like. The Bible talks about that in the same way with God, right? We can look around the world, we can look at creation and see its order. We can look at that and with God's help, we can see that there is a God. But when God reveals himself fully in Jesus in that really special way, that's when we know what he is really like. And so that's what we want to think about today. What is God really like? 
Now, uh, this is not supposed to be about Gav this morning, but here we are. Um, what words would you just use to describe Gav? Now, do this with the person beside you. Just have a quick chat, all right? What is one word that you would use to describe Gav? If you don't know him, just make one up. I'll give you 20 seconds. Is that a younger photo? Is that a younger photo? When you're 50? <laughs> I wonder what words you'd use. We won't call them out. Uh, when I think of Gav, I think of uh, kind. Uh, I think of someone who uh, uh, loves people. Uh, there's lots of words that we could use to describe him. He'll be sad this afternoon at about four o'clock uh, when his team loses again. But <laughs> these words help us to learn about who he is as a person, right? Now, if we were to use uh, words to describe God, what would we use? Probably the same words. Good, kind, loving, merciful, just... But the, the way that we use those words would be different to the way that we would use them to describe Gav, right? He's not perfect in the same way that God is perfect. The difference between the way we think about those words gives us an idea about what it means for God to be who He is, right? That there are attributes of God that we share, but the way that we share them isn't the same. Our God is love, yet we love, but our love is imperfect. God is good, we do good things, but that doesn't define us as people in the same way that God's attributes do. God's attributes then are His personal, relational qualities, who He is and how He relates to us in creation. In other words, God's attributes tell us who He is. And there's a distinction that we want to make between these attributes. There are some which God has in Himself that He doesn't share, they're called incommunicable attributes. And there are some that we do share that are communicable attributes, the ones that we image partially and imperfectly. Things like love would be an incommunicable attribute, uh, sorry, a communicable attribute in that way, right? God is eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing. That is not who we are. And so he is different to us in that way. But we do share his characteristics, goodness, love, mercy, justice. We do those things. And so as we think about what it means for God to be compassionate, we're thinking about who God is, but also who he calls us to be in the midst of our lives here. Now, when we think about these things in relation to God, we need to understand that he is entirely that thing. So when we say that he is love, it's not that he is part love, but he is the definition of love. He is merciful, and that is his entire being. It's not like God has parts, and then when you put those parts together like a jigsaw, you get God. No, he is all those things. He is love. But each of those things describe and express something about him that's important. And we can't take these attributes and pit them against each other, and sometimes we can hear this. If God is love, then he won't be just. Or if God is love, then he won't be a judge. We have to hold them together. And we saw that in the passage from Zechariah, which we'll get to later. He is both just 
in punishing sin, but compassionate and loving at the same time. The Bible is very clear that they go together. And so what we want to see this morning is that when God reveals himself, he's telling us about who he is. And he's trying to tell us not just intellectual things, but things that help us to relate to him appropriately in the midst of the things that are going on in our lives. Now, if you're a quick Bible flicker or app toucher, come with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. It's my favorite psalm. Because this psalm is all about God's attributes and how it's a comfort to us in the midst of everything that's going on. Psalm 139. If you've got the Black Bible, it's 441. O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. God is all-knowing. The big word is omniscient, right? There's nothing he doesn't know. But what does it say here? Is it just about God being all-knowing? How does it work out? Well, it says that he discerns our coming and going. You hem me in, verse 5, behind and before. You've laid your hand on me. It's an intimate picture. He knows the future, and because his hand is upon us, we can rest in the assurance that our God is good and that things are in control. Come down to verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Where is God? He is everywhere. But what's the point? God cares and is with you. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And so as we think about this in the context of the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity have the divine attributes of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we think about God, we usually think about His oneness, but here we want to think about how the Trinity displays all of these divine attributes. We would say the Father is fairly obvious. Yesterday we looked at Hebrews chapter 9 and we saw that the Spirit is eternal. But what about Jesus? Doesn't Jesus present a conundrum for us because he takes on human flesh and none of us are perfect and if he takes on our flesh, how can he display these divine attributes? How do we see those things? As Christians, we believe that when Jesus came and took on flesh, he he was fully God and fully man, one person with two natures. It's one of those mysterious and humble things that the Bible teaches us. But in his divine nature, he was like us. When you read the Gospels, what does he get? He gets tired. He gets hungry. He needs to rest and withdraw. He's human like us. But at the same time, he is fully God, eternal and all-knowing. There's a mystery. In John 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, The Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. That is, he came and lived and tabernacled 
with us. He was the place where God was. And John goes on to say, we have seen his glory. It's the glory of the one and only. That is the Father who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what it means is if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the glory of the Father. In John 10, 30, it says, I and the Father are one. And so if we want to know what God is like, we can look at Jesus and Jesus reveals the Father to us. John chapter 14, verse 9. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The Father working through the Son together. And so as we look at Jesus, we see the Father. So if you want to know what God is like, read the Gospels. Because when we read the Gospels, we see a reflection of the Father and his attributes in Jesus. And that's why I want us to look at this idea of compassion, because compassion is one of the things that was repeated time and again in the Gospels about Jesus. Now, compassion means to have pity or feel sympathy towards someone or something, right? And I think the thing that often comes to mind of compassion is when you see a little puppy with his eyes and you go, you're so cute, and you just want to pick him up, right? There's this compassion that you have for this little weak puppy, not cats, only dogs at this point, right? compassion it moves us to have pity it's a form of love but it's distinguishable from other forms of love in terms of its fellowship and that's really important often we feel compassion when in in compassionate and love when in suffering and deficiency right it's one thing for us to love our mates or our friends it's one thing to have affection towards our family or our spouse or for other believers but compassion's not like that Compassion is when we have love for someone in the midst of suffering or they've lost something or there's some deficiency, some help that they need. And that's what Jesus has time and again as we read the Gospels. He sees people and he has compassion on us. And in response to that compassion, he does something. And it's often surprising, just like in Mark 6. This idea of God's compassion, though, it comes from the Old Testament and grounded in who God is, God the Father. In Exodus 33, his name is compassion. That is God, Yahweh, the promise-keeping God. His name is compassion. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 36, it says, The Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left. Can you see again? Judgment and compassion together. That sounds very un-Australian today, doesn't it? But the Lord is both compassionate, kind and judging in that sense. And so as we go to the New Testament then, it's not surprising that we find Jesus showing this compassion because he is God. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. He withdraws because he needs a rest. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had what? 
compassion on them because they were like what? Sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? He starts teaching them. Surprising, right? That's not what you expect. Jesus is in a wilderness place. It goes on to say, with patches of green grass. I think you're supposed to see him as a Moses figure in this story, a leader of God's people. And he sees the people like sheep without a shepherd, suffering and in need. The shepherd was supposed to provide for his sheep, help them to feel safe and secure. But here's God's people in the wilderness feeling anything but. What is their lack? Their weakness and their, invul- and their vulnerability is that they don't have leaders who are looking after them. They don't have shepherds who are going to care for them. And so what does he do? He begins teaching them. And so as we think about this passage, we have to think about the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, where God condemns the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, because they're more worried about themselves. But also in Zechariah 10, which was the Bible reading, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, is pictured as a shepherd. And in verse 3, my anger burns against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord Almighty will care for his flock. The Old Testament looked for this time when a shepherd would come to shepherd the people properly. And this is what he says, I will strengthen the house of Judah and save the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. Israel was looking forward to the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, coming and delivering his people, restoring them. And that's what we see in Matthew 9 and here in Mark 6. God the Father, Yahweh, would shepherd his people and the Gospels show us him doing that in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Ezekiel and Zechariah. He is the shepherd who has come to be compassionate and to teach and to satisfy his followers. You would think that the thing that Jesus would have done would have been to feed them, right? But Jesus' priorities are not our priorities, right? We often think of our stomach first, right? I can't talk. But Jesus, his priority, and it's been from the beginning of Mark, if you read it through, is to preach and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's why he comes. That's his thing he does all the time. The miracles are just add-ons to help you understand his preaching. What do these vulnerable people in the wilderness need more than anything? They need to know who Jesus is. They need to know about the kingdom of God. And so that's what he gives these vulnerable people who don't have a leader. And so how does this work out for us as we move along in the Bible? Well, I found it really interesting when I was thinking about this that I came to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Compassion is a communicable attribute. It's revealed in Jesus and we share it as Christian people with God. That is what we are supposed to be known as, compassionate people. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. 
who comforts us in all our troubles so that, purpose, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In God's providence, every interview this weekend has been about this exact thing. Imagine that. Jessamine shared about how she has received the compassion and comfort of the Lord. Tara and Paul yesterday talked about how God's compassion shaped them to be compassionate people towards someone else. If you haven't heard the story, you should really hear that. And Josh again this morning. Those who had been comforted were able to comfort him and his family. Can you see the logic of the verse though? The father of compassion comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, Paul goes on to say, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, that is Paul, it is for your comfort and salvation. That turns everything upside down, right? My mental health struggles help me to comfort other people with mental health struggles. That helps me think differently about my mental health. Doesn't make it good sometimes, let me tell you. But it helps me to be able to minister and care to those around me. If I'm distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. The comfort I've received from others helps me to know how to comfort someone else. And as we've been encouraged this morning, it's as we share our lives together that we'll know what that looks like. Verse 7 then, our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Our God is the Father of compassion and comfort. He sees us, He knows our weakness and our need, and because He loves us and He knows us, it should move us to action. Of course, we won't get it perfect, right? From time to time, we're going to do it imperfectly. But we're not God in that sense, right? We'll need to show grace and mercy to each other when comforting doesn't come as it should. But the encouragement is that just as we have been comforted and had compassion, that we would do that for others. And it's in Jesus that we see this concretely. As we read the Gospels, as we see him and as he teaches again and again, he's moved by compassion to help people, to heal people, to console people, to cry and to teach those in need. And this compassion which we've received should move us towards compassion to those around us. God's compassion then is our compassion. God's comfort is a model for our comfort of others. As we look out the window and as we look at this community around us, who are the weak and needy in our community that we can show the comfort of God to? What makes us different to any other club, rotary, lions, 
whatever it might be. What makes us different? How can we share our money, the talents we have, the time we have to help those around us? We've been encouraged in three different ways through Jessamine, Tara and Paul and Josh to think about how that compassion has shaped those around us. God's desire is that we would share that comfort with others. And so maybe that might be something for us to think about in the days and the week ahead. Who are the weak and needy and how can we show them the comfort of God? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, you are the Father of all compassion and comfort. You comfort us in our troubles. Thank you for your mercy and love and kindness. We know we are undeserving of these things, but you are full of grace and goodness. Help us to be able to comfort those in trouble. Help us to be able to comfort those around us. Give us a heart for the lost. Help us to know. Give us your wisdom in how we might do that as your people. Here on Sunday, during the week, wherever it might be, help us to be known as people who are like their God, compassionate, loving, kind and merciful, who tell the truth but do it in love. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.